Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good weekend to you food lovers and seasons eatings to you, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. The culinary landscape is ever evolving, so you'll want to tune in every weekend because on this show, you'll hear from celebrity chefs and pastry aficionados, restaurateurs and molecular gastronomers, food bloggers and enthusiasts, cookbook authors, and more. Every week I dish on fabulous food and fine wine and spirits, on good health and living the best life. So I hope that you won't miss a weekend of delicious conversation with me. I do have lots of extra inspiration where I serve up seconds at chefjamie.com and you'll find my daily dish on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. So please become a friend. And if you've missed a show or you want to master a topic, you can always find my podcasts on iTunes under Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. So coming up, we have a full plate. In fact, you'll want to stay tuned throughout the hour. But first... It's my goal at the start of this show to share a technique or a tip or my best chef's tips to make you the best cook you know. And we are just days away from Thanksgiving. So let's talk turkey, shall we? The Thanksgiving turkey, a labor of love. Whether you're having just a few gathered around your table or you're outside with a bigger group of friends and family... The roasting and the basting and the seasoning for the turkey day bird is really what sets the holiday apart from the rest, right? It has to look and taste terrific. However, achieving that is a challenge, even for great cooks. So I have some of my best tips to share with you in two parts, in fact. I want to talk crispy skin and quick cooking Your turkey shouldn't be challenging. And interestingly enough, whether you are celebrating with six or 60 people, the trend this year is a smaller turkey, in fact. And so you should be able to find a smaller bird than ever as they are being bred that way. And they should be truly tasty and delicious. I've always preferred a smaller turkey. And so this is my year. Now, When it comes to that crispy skin, first and foremost, whether you brine wet or dry, you want to plan in advance. And, you know, every Thanksgiving over the past many years, I have had the privilege of answering last minute turkey talk questions the morning of Thanksgiving. And I've gotten crazy questions like, um, my turkey is alive in the backyard. Now what do I do? Or, um, there's always the common challenge of my turkey still frozen. Can you help? Uh, I can add a tip here and tell you that a frozen turkey takes 24 hours for every five pounds of turkey to thaw in the refrigerator. So please plan accordingly. But the most common question I get asked is, how do I achieve crispy skin? And so I will tell you, as I mentioned, whether you brine wet or dry, you'll need to plan in advance because the night before Thanksgiving, you want the turkey rinsed, of course, thawed or fresh, 
and then rinsed and patted dry. Because you're going to place your turkey on a rack on a baking sheet and you're going to leave it uncovered in the refrigerator the night before Thanksgiving. The cold air from the refrigerator will dry out the skin. And no matter which way you cook it, you will get crispy goodness that is so delectable, you will be a culinary hero. This idea of drying the skin out works for the perfect Sunday roast chicken as well. You do get crispy goodness and moist meat. And it's just a simple trick to be mindful of that really makes a difference. Now, when it comes to a quick cook on a turkey, you might be cocking your head to the side and thinking, what is she talking about? Well, let me tell you. It's actually all about the spatchcock. Yes. Over the last few years, I have been making a spatchcock turkey where the backbone is removed. I actually like to call it flat out because nobody likes that spatchcock word. And I will tell you what I love about a flat out turkey. It cooks quicker. It gets super golden. You get crispy skin guaranteed and it tastes delicious because it's never dry. Now, it cooks more quickly because it's a butterflied version of a turkey, right? And you really do get perfectly cooked white and dark meat with this method. So the term spatchcock is the method of removing the turkey's backbone so that you can flatten out the body. And I will say that your butcher should happily do this for you or the butcher counter at your favorite supermarket, of course. And the flatter shape ensures that the meat cooks evenly and more quickly. And the legs reach that safe temperature without ever overcooking the breast meat. Now, the result of a flat out turkey is hands down to me the easiest, most reliable journey to a juicy, moist turkey with incredibly crispy skin. Now, the skin of a flat out bird is all on top, right? So it will crisp up beautifully on its own, but I do suggest you use my overnight drying method in the refrigerator. And then, of course, there is the recipe. So I call it a flat-out herb and butter-basted turkey. What do you do, you ask? Well, you combine garlic and shallot and chives and sage and parsley and thyme and lemon zest in a food processor until it's smooth. And you add good copious amounts of salt and pepper to season well. And you take your flat out turkey and you lay it breast side up on a rack on a sheet pan. And you loosen the skin between the breast meat and you rub that herbaceous, delicious butter under the skin. And then you roast the turkey. High heat, by the way, 450 degrees for an hour and 15 minutes for a 12-pound bird or until a meat thermometer reads the leg meat at 160 degrees for safety. And then you take the turkey out and let it rest for 15 minutes. And in an hour and a half, you have what might be the ultimate turkey. Now, I'd love to share the recipe with you. It's the bonus this week. It's my Thanksgiving gift to you, happily, actually. And so you'll need to email me, please. Jamie, J-A-M-I-E at chefjamie.com. I will gladly send you my flat out herb and butter basted turkey to make you a culinary hero and to make your Thanksgiving less stress because 
really, we've had enough stress this year, don't you think? Now, if you go to chefjamie.com and search make ahead gravy, you will get a make ahead turkey gravy that will wow you. Because I think that making turkey last minute is just loony, really. I make a base gravy, as I call it, and then I add those pan drippings from the turkey, no matter which way you roast it, right before I bring the turkey gravy up to a simmer and serve it. And I have to tell you, it's really out of this world. So print out my make-ahead turkey gravy recipe from chefjamie.com, and while you're there, You can always search for my Thanksgiving planner. That will give you everything you need from a week before up until day of, including shopping for non-perishables now and getting everything ready to make the day a delight. Because isn't that what we're all looking forward to? A celebration. That's the turkey talk for this week. But there is more because coming up, I'm really excited. Coming up, Rose Wild and her love of grains is celebrating the joy of baking and oh, she will make your baking blossom with her debut cookbook. Don't miss the delightful conversation. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio as we celebrate the season with fabulous food, fine wine and more because a little celebration is in order. Grab a snack and come on back. Don't go away. There's lots more deliciousness coming up next. up in your radio with grand guests and chef's tips to make your dishes come alive with flavor. Chef Jamie Gwen here. We're about to satiate your appetite because in her amazing and truly extraordinary debut cookbook, Rose Wild is sharing her joy of grains. From buckwheat to barley and brown rice to spelt, sonora and sweet corn too, Bread and Roses is a comprehensive guide to choosing ingredients that have an impact beyond the plate, resulting in truly delicious results. And her recipes from breads to cookies and pies to crisps are inspired by her global travels. 
The book is an Amazon top new release and deservedly so, and it is so filled with passion. I am delighted that the charismatic Rose Wilde is here. She is a former human rights attorney, by the way, who grew up in Ecuador, has lived everywhere from Tibet to Italy, and she has poured her passion into her Los Angeles bakery, Red Bread, which is much beloved. And she is leading the culinary revolution, sharing the joy of grains. It is with great delight that we are sharing bread and roses, 100 grain forward recipes featuring global ingredients and botanicals. And I welcome you, Rose. Thank you for sharing your passion. I'm so glad to be here, Jamie. Thank you for having me. Yes, and thank you for being here. You are much loved in the industry, you know, um, because I think few have as much passion as you do and your commitment to social justice and your extraordinary self-taught talent, and we'll get to all of that. Um, But I commend you. This is one of the most gloriously beautiful, passionate cookbooks that I've seen in many years. And as I say often on the radio, a lot of cookbooks cross my desk. But what stands out for me at the the heart of it is that your life's goal is to ensure that we all fall in love with grains. Yes. Yeah, it is. Tell us where this tremendous passion steeps from, please. I know that your travels around the world have led to your culinary talent, Um, But this is what I think great cooks are begging for, which is history, understanding, insightfulness, new flavors, all of those. Uh, I mean, absolutely so much of my passion for grains has come from my travels. But even before that, um, I, you know, grew up in a household with a mother and father who ran a, like, very grain-based farm-to-table restaurant called the Good Earth in Florida in the late 1970s. I was attached to a garden, and my mother was incredibly well-traveled. She was obsessed with languages and different cultures and just wanted to make basically every single friend in the world she could. Amazing. Um, and so she was really the first um, first food provider I had, obviously, but she loved grains. And so from a young age, like when other people might be eating rice, I was eating quinoa and couscous and buckwheat grouts. Um, Lucky you. And just really had a <laughs> wide experience. Um, and I didn't actually know that wasn't normal until I went to school and tried to like tra- trade my quinoa pudding for a snack pack. And people were very confused what I was eating. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I love that you knew... F- you didn't know better, right? You knew from nothing else. So you've always had that commitment. I think there's a, there's a deeper commitment to the earth and to plant-based when it's something that you were raised with, right? It's not a newfound passion, but one deeply rooted. I also, um, would like to, um, I would like to thank your mom, I guess, for uh, sharing and passing along her tremendous love of cookies to you because every recipe I have marked in your book thus far is a cookie recipe and I can't wait to make them. You have a wonderful cookie story. Oh, yes. Um, I mean, I love cookies. They're very important to me. (laughs) My mother taught me how to make them when I was very young and, you know, we, we moved around a lot because 
you know, she loved travel. And after my parents split up, um, I we moved to Ecuador, where I, I lived for a while. And when I came back to the States, you know, I was always going to different schools. And my birthday was always the first week of school. So cookies were something that I would make in first day of school prep, along with picking out my outfit and packing my backpack. Right. Um, and it was just a really good way to, like, bring it into a class and turn the day into a party and make a lot of friends really fast. Of course. Um, so I very much connected, like, cookies as the fastest way to make friends. They're, like, a perfect – they're a perfect pastry. They're so portable. And they have such um, uh, 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 ability to, like, be a, a million different things. So there are tons of cookie recipes in my book. Yes. Um, so many of them I've developed over the years for different restaurants and – um, different occasions. Um, but for me, like above all else, cookies need to be absolutely perfect. They need to blow your mind because I have so many memories connected to them. Yeah. And I think our best known cookie is a cookie you'll find in the um, Africa section uh, that is called the oatmeal chocolate chunk cookies. Yes. But I... Here in Los Angeles. Oh, yes. I saw it. <laughs> the cracked cookies. Yes, yeah. Yeah. And this is probably my most requested recipe over the last 12 years that I've been baking professionally. Um, they were voted the best cookie in Los Angeles by several outlets for several years. Mm. And I would regularly have people like just come up to me at the market and be like, I'm going to say some ingredients and you just nod your head, nod your head if I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so what, what I, a I, brilliant compliment, right? Oh, yeah. yes. <laughs> And they wouldn't even say their name first or tell me what they were talking about. They would just, like, start talking. And by the time they, they were like, okay, oatmeal, I was like, oh, okay, I see what we're doing. I see what we're doing. Right. And um, so I used to joke that uh, I would never print it until it was on my gravestone. Um, but I decided to give it to you guys early. Um, and it's on two, page 214 in the book. Yes, and, it is. Uh, yeah, all my secrets, everything you've been waiting for. Ev that beautiful cookie. Everything disclosed. It's oat flour, right? Not straight oats like we think of old-fashioned oats. And uh, it's both. It's both, yeah. It's oat flour and also oats, yeah. And all-purpose flour as well. And you're using extraordinary chocolate, right? And mm -hmm. walnuts. And there is nothing better, I do have to agree with you, than a warm cookie off of the baking sheet where the chocolate is still, it's not in that hot state, but it's in that warm, still melting, just yeah. mouth feel like you just can't compare. And yeah, there's it's nothing better. Tempered and soft. Yes, it's, so lovely. it's perfect. Um, and let's... I really love to use two kinds of. I mean, here in this recipe, I use just dark chocolate. But sometimes when I'm making them for kids, I'll split that with milk chocolate, so that it has a little more sweetness. And I find that mm. like they go crazy for that. Okay, let's take a quick break. The culinary conversation will continue. You, me, Chef Jamie Gwen, and Rose Wild, the book Bread and Roses, the most beautiful, stunning testament to uh, the wide world of grains. More right after this.
We're back and we're dishing Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Rose Wild is here. She is the owner of Red Bread. She is a human rights activist, a previous attorney practicing law, and now an incredibly accomplished chef who has embraced and taken on the plight and passion of sharing grains with the world. Her debut cookbook is a hit entitled Bread and Roses, and so we're digging deep. I want to take a step back. I want to dig deeper into grains because what is most spoken about you is that you have this insatiable curiosity and you have done this, this, the book itself. And by the way, if you just tuned in, you're late. We're talking about Bread and Roses, Rose Wilde's debut cookbook that is wildly brilliant. Um, but the, the genius is the knowledge packed into this book and the recipes, Rose, in my opinion. And I would like you to talk ancient versus heirloom, please. Whether it's rye or einkorn or barley or quinoa, we know some of the names, but we don't know their histories. Yeah, I mean, I love that you say that because I feel like the reason I wrote this book was that I felt that in the last couple of years, people have begun to know more of the names. Their their ability to, like, handle the language had gotten leaps and bounds more than 10 years ago uh, when I first started to, like, really try and push whole grains. Mm-hmm. Um, but it felt like people didn't understand the context. Yes. And I think that context and origin and transparency of cultures of where these are from really helps us understand them and not have to reinvent the wheel, right? Otherwise, just sort of blindly feeling in the dark, guessing at what you can use, when in fact there's been thousands of years where people have used these grains in particular ways that we can um, basically leapfrog off into our own creativity. So I have this really wonderful illustration that I love called Flower Families of the Field in the book that really lays out, like, how long that we have had these grains as, like, dear friends, basically. Mm. And this was really important to me because I really wanted to set to rest the idea that whole grains was a trend or a fad. Sure. (laughs) Right. No, this this is a deeply rooted culture of... uh, of I- incredible history and sustenance that yeah. w- that will not only grow but will sustain us for you know what thousands of years to come. We hope. Agreed. Yeah, I, I think that you know we we also in this country these sound a little more foreign to us because they've been largely taken out of our agriculture in favor of industry and commodity and homogenization um, and like growing you know, monoculture things in the field. But in most of the other parts of the world, they are still the main sources of nutrition. Uh, mm-hmm. Like our first food for everyone in the world is some sort of grain, whether it's bread or porridge. Um, so when we're talking about grains, like there's a lot of words like ancient, heirloom, heritage. Um, and what that really means is that it's trying to give a sense of how old they are. So there is a, like, six to ten ancient grains, and almost all of them are in the book. And what that really means is that we've known them for thousands upon thousands and thousands of years. Heirloom and heritage grains generally are the slightly newer ones that we've known for a couple hundred or more years, and they tend to be descendants of 
the ancient grains, right? So you can think of those as the original mothers, and all of our modern wheats have descended from them. Um, so I wanted to start off with the ancient ones because they're still intact today, and they're still, like, incredibly robust. There's been recent studies that um, a lot of GMO grains are failing as climate change, like, changes really fast. Mm-hmm. But these ancient grains that have been around for thousands of years are still the most adaptable. So I think there's something really beautiful to realize the resilience of yes. the things that have been with us forever. Yes. Um, and that's what I really hope to get across in the book. Oh, and you've done it so beautifully. Uh, a, a testament to the fact that the, these grains have nurtured souls and bellies for a very long time. I mean, needless to say. Let's start with barley. Um, I think that barley is having its day or it's growing in popularity. Yeah. Which is wonderful um, because I happen to be a barley lover and you make a barley miso chocolate chunk cookie. See, I told you I marked every cookie. Um, (laughs) but, But the idea of adding red miso... And the the richness of barley, I can't wait to make it. That is one of my favorite cookies. Most of these recipes actually came from, like, the last 10 years, and I pulled them and, like, organized them how I wanted the book. But this barley miso chocolate chunk cookie was one of the ones I made specifically for this book. Hmm. Um, I used red miso because I really want it to have a punch. You know, white yes. miso is really beautiful when you're dealing with, like, delicate things in cooking, like fish and stuff like that. But with red miso, you get this really robust umami punch that I think is so beautifully paired up with the mm. chocolate in there. Looks so and good. Barley. Barley for me is such a special grain because it's a, it's a really dark grain. When you mill it, it can be anywhere from like a light brown to a, a purple or gray. Um, but it has these beautiful notes of vanilla to it mm. and, like, mushroomy earthiness. Yeah, it's and got so a new mommy. Yes, it does. Strong flavors yeah. really are work well with other strong flavors. So mm. that's why I went red. And you'll see in this uh, recipe there is that mix of dark and milk chocolate, um, again, to balance some of those tannic qualities and mm. also make it super kid-friendly, despite it being... Um, a really complex flavored cookie. Yeah, it is. And and that's what I think is so unbelievable about your recipes. You are uh, an extraordinarily accomplished attorney uh, self and self-taught chef, but the depth of flavor in your recipes, even from reading them, the complexity of it to me is a testament to the fact that your palate was screaming to be heard, right? I very much, I appreciate your law work. I really do. But I think your place is sharing recipes and brilliant bread and cakes and cookies as you do in your bakery and now with the world through your cookbook. Um, Can we please talk about your love of rye and the rise of rye? So we've seen over the past couple of years, pastry chefs and celebrity chefs and artisans embracing rye. Uh, We've seen it more than ever, right? 
Um, I'm, yeah, I marked. I definitely think Rye has, is having a sustained uh, moment back yes. in the spotlight. Yes. You make a rye black bread. You make a rye chocolate cake. I want to make malt ice cream with rye. Tell us how, yes. please. Yeah, I think rye, again, is, is really earthy. It pairs super well with chocolate. So that's been a really easy one for pastry chef to latch on to because mm-hmm. We'll kind of accept anything with chocolate. That's, that's true. <laughs> it was a really easy one to get in there, and then you you realize that it actually makes the chocolate sing because it's echoing so many of those similar flavor profiles. Um, that rye black bread you mentioned was also voted by the L.A. Times the best uh, bread in Los Angeles in mm. 2014, I think it was. And Kudos to every- you. I met every single Russian and Jewish person in the city that day. (laughs) Of course. uh, Because it is is a historically, like, Russian-Jewish type of bread, like, super hearty, super dense, super flavor-packed. And, you know, for me, like, I just want everything to taste so, so good. Yes. And and I I almost licked the page of some of your recipes because... Talk about pure pleasure. Do you have a number one standout sugar substitute, like a a substitute for white sugar that you would tell the best bakers to use? Or is it very much recipe dependent? I almost always use cane sugar. So I don't really use white sugar. And cane sugar is just like an unstripped white sugar, right? It it looks blonde because it still has the naturally occurring molasses in it. And it has so fabulous flavor. It does. Is that molasses added back in and yeah. almost saturating it. So cane sugar is where both things come from. So I love using cane sugar. I feel like I get a more natural, flavorful, caramel taste mm-hmm. out of things that need white sugar. Mm-hmm. And then I can add molasses or I can add brown sugar if I want to push that harder. But Yeah, natural cane sugar is is my white sugar. Rose, if you would please pause there. We'll take a quick break. Back in a moment. Chef Jamie Gwen. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. This is a unique standout cookbook in the bread and pastry world. Entitled Bread and Roses and authored by Rose Wild of Red Bread, Wait Until You Fall in Love with Grains. Can we take a walk on the savory side for a moment? Um, Absolutely. I, I will very honestly and forthright tell you that of all the grains I learned about, Uh, educating myself with Bread and Roses, your book, Sonora was one that I knew little about. But your Sonora cheese sticks with the arugula blossoms, the Parmesan and the fried parsley, 
Oh my God, addictive. Uh, they look addictive, but might be the, like the perfect pre-feast starter, right? We have all these big holidays coming up. You pour a cocktail or a glass of wine when the family and friends come together and you need a snack. Like you just need a few bites before you go sit yeah. down and indulge. And I think your Sonora cheese sticks would be perfect there. Yeah, they actually, they're one of my norm, number one things that I make for parties because they're super fun. You know, I cut them really long, which is why I call them sticks. And I think they're so fun when people grab the same one and they break off <laughs> or just to chew them like, like long while you're sipping your wine is super great too. Um, nice. I have included them in my like cookie pins over the years as a savory option among all the sweets. Um, they're super easy to make. It's kind of like making pie dough, but you're you're layering in cheese and peppery arugula blossoms and really crispy, fun fried parsley. Um, they're always a hit and Beautiful. come together really quickly. So I hope I hope I start seeing them pop up on everyone's holiday tables. Yes, I hope so too. Talk about Sonora, would you please? Yeah. So Sonora is going to be one of these newer, um, what we call an heirloom grain rather okay. than an ancient grain. Um, and it's originally from Europe in terms of where it was cultivated first, but actually became super famous here in the Americas um, when it was brought by the Spanish during their conquest to Mexico. Um, and Mexican cuisine really latched onto it and started making flour tortillas, which were predominantly made in a town that became known as Sonora, Sonora. because of how well the Sonora grew there. So even though it started in one culture, it became incredibly important to another. And to this day, those flour tortillas so many of us know and love, if you're not a corn tortilla lover, are made with Sonora if they're made well. Um, and I have the opportunity to work with it all the time here in California because there's a wonderful organization called the Tehachapi Grain Project that has been growing it here in California again How because cool. it used to be one of the main agricultural products here because of the connection with Mexico. Um, and so I think it is this really beautiful, pale, short grain, um, blonde uh, grain that when you grind it up, it is, it is so creamy. It is mm. so milky. Mm. It has the ability to do pastry and bread with a little help from like AP flour or bread flour um, but it's perfect for flatbread because it's so tender um, I really think that it is a grain that everyone needs in their cupboard if it's if it's like if you're picking one whole grain to start with Sonora is my absolute pick because you could trade Sonora in for any one of your favorite recipes not even in this book one for one, completely 100%. Really? Make that recipe. It's going to have almost no changes. You might need a hit more fat or milk, but no one will know it's whole grain because it'll bake out so light and fluffy and golden. Wow. Um, huh. So you can trick all your friends sure. to loving whole grain. Yes. <laughs> and, and be a culinary hero in the mix. Um, Absolutely. That- as she shares her joy of grains in her debut cookbook entitled Bread and Roses. It is more than 100 grain-forward recipes so that you can learn about global ingredients, so that you can um, build in botanicals into your cooking. Um, Because as she talks about, your approach, Rose, uh, 
from the nose to tail movement is more so, what do you call it? So that I don't get it wrong. Um, I call it eating root to blossom. Root to blossom. And so we are all going to make a commitment to do more of that and because of you. Um, Congratulations to you and well-deserved kudos on the Amazon uh, nod. Um, But please know that you should follow Rose, of course, at, and let me find it, because it's T Rose Wild with an E, T Rose Wild. Bread and Roses, the book, is out now. She is a master food preserver, gardener, chef, and so much more. But this would make the most beautiful gift of food for a food lover in your life come the holiday season. Add it to your collection. Learn, grow, elevate. Uh, This might be the book of the year. And Rose, ah. uh, yeah, it, it just might. Stay tuned. I think you're. I think you're on your way to, to very big kudos. Um, and well, so. well I deserved. Want people to bake with more. I well want deserved. People to have more in their life, and that's yes. what this book is all about. Yeah, it's not about doing it differently. It's just about doing it with more. Yes, and uh, thank you again for sharing your passion for nourishing us. Thank you for having me, Jamie. This was such a blast. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of truly delicious conversation. Well, at least I hope you thought so. I hope you'll tune in every weekend all throughout the holidays so that we can celebrate and toast and cheer together over fabulous food. But before you go, let me leave you with my last bite. I call it my last ounce or tidbit of culinary inspiration. And I have Thanksgiving on the brain. So if you're looking to make a super simple dessert or you're setting out a dessert buffet, let's say, and you just want multiple tastes, I have a recipe that I think screams the holidays, but is so absolutely easy, you will be a culinary hero. So you're going to make a simple pumpkin mixture combining pumpkin puree, brown sugar, and mascarpone cheese. Little pumpkin pie spice goes in there too. And then you fold in some whipped cream. You get this lovely pumpkin mousse, which I like to put at the bottom of a martini glass or uh, individual parfait glasses, even little small mason jars. Then I top it with another dollop of whipped cream and crushed graham crackers. And you have a pumpkin parfait that is out of this world. I will share this pumpkin parfait on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. And I will meet you here next weekend when there is so much more to dish about. May your plate always remain full. Please stay healthy. And I thank you for listening. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off, and I hope you continue to eat well.